Um, well, it's great to be back here again for week two. Nihao, Anyohaseo, Apagaba, Kyara, welcome. Great to see everybody here this morning, and I uh, hope you enjoyed last week. Uh, as we are beginning this series of diving into just some great wisdom stuff from the scriptures. We're back in the Old Testament, and here in the Old Testament we find these different genres of writing. We find uh, books of the law, um, the Torah, the first five books uh, of the Old Testament. We find the history writings here. We also find the wisdom books, the five wisdom books, Proverbs, sorry, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. And of course, you find the prophetic books. But in this series, we're focusing on those wisdom books, and in particular, the book of Proverbs. Now, last week, we looked at Proverbs chapter 3, the wisdom of trusting in the Lord. This week, the pendulum is going to swing a little bit to the other end of the spectrum, the other side of this partnership. And we're going to look at uh, some of God's wisdom from Proverbs chapter 20, verse 4. Let me read it to you. The lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. We're going to explore this together. But let me kick off by sharing a story. Um, some of you know that Liz and I do a bit of running. We've done a few marathons and half marathons and, and trail marathons and bits and pieces. And I remember many years ago going through a, a, a very busy season in, in my life. I was involved with, with a number of responsibilities and, and my exercise wasn't going so well. And I remember getting to that place where you just go, oh man, I gotta do something like this. This is just not good, you know, out of shape, no energy, feeling tired. So I, I thought, look, I need a goal. So I went online and found a half marathon that was running and I signed up for it and Liz signed up as well and another couple that we do a bit of running with signed up as well. And so we went and did the Rotorua half marathon. Has anyone ever done the Rotorua half marathon here? In the first service we had a few. Okay, so Rotorua half marathon, pretty flat. It's nice and it's meant to be a fast half marathon, nice and flat. So we began to train for this. Well, that's not true. I began to train for this. Liz had already been training. She'd been out running three or four times a week, and these guys had been training. And uh, I left my run a little bit late because at the time I booked it and made this decision, it was only three weeks out from the half marathon. So, um, you know, don't want to peak too early and all that kind of thing. So we went for a few runs, and then, we, uh, we, then race day arrived. And so we're there all on the start line and the gun goes off and we all run and Liz and these friends of mine just run away from me. They just, just left me, just ran off. And uh, I very quickly found myself in a pretty unhappy place. Uh, you know, I, I, mean, I just hadn't done enough training. I mean, normally I take three to four months to train for half marathon, but after three weeks, it wasn't very long before I was just staggering along. Uh, and there were a couple of interesting points in this half marathon that I want to share with you. The first one was about 10Ks when I, I, I came across this infuriating bunch of people. This bunch of people, and what would happen is they would overtake me, which of course I'm like, please, no. So then I would speed up a little bit and I'd overtake them. And then I would run out of energy, and so then I'd slow down, and they would overtake me again. And this happened like six or seven times before they finally just ran off and left me. They left me behind. They didn't run off, because what was most infuriating was that they were a bunch of walkers. <laughs> Which gives you some idea of the pace that I was running at that day. It was not glorious. Anyway, I'm staggering along, trying not to be picked up by an ambulance, because clearly I looked like I was in trouble. 
About the 17k mark, I'm like, this is not okay. Liz would have finished by now. They would have got changed, probably gone and had a coffee, maybe had lunch. They may have even left and gone back to Auckland. I don't know. So I'm like, I've got to pick up the pace. I've got to pick up the pace. So at 17k, so I go, I'm going to pick up the pace. And so I just dig deep and I start running faster, which is awesome. And then it lasted about 100 meters. And then after 100 meters, something very strange happened, which was out of the corner of my eye, I could see a power pole coming for me. Power pole coming for me. I'm like, that's weird. And it just kept coming and coming and coming until I literally had to jump out of the way because this power pole was coming at me. And it was about then that I realized that something was very wrong with me at that point. I found that I was getting vertigo. I could not maintain my balance. I was running along with my arms out, weaving all over the, the pavement, trying to keep away from signs. I kept drifting towards the road, which something inside my head was not a good idea to stagger out into that road. So I found myself in a very, very bad place uh, at, at about then. So I ended up having to walk. I literally walked for the next three kilometers just because I couldn't get my balance and it was all a bit messy. And then finally we came to the last kilometer and I managed to jog the last kilometer simply because I was too embarrassed for my wife to see me walking across the finish line. Staggered across the line and collapsed on the grass. It was not my finest moment. But the problem is I had no one to blame, right? Because what it simply came down to is that these people that I was running with had done the work, but I had not done the work. When Liz was getting up early and going out running, I was staying in bed. And the truth is this, is that if you don't do the work in the dark when no one else sees, you'll have nothing out there in the light where everybody sees. And it was a powerful lesson to me, that if you want to get results, you just have to do the work in any and every area of your life. And so sometimes we need a wake-up call. And this was one of many wake-up calls I have had. Sometimes we need to realize that the problems we have sometimes, the challenges we face, the messes that sometimes we get ourselves into can actually largely be our fault because we won't do the hard work required when it's required. Now, please understand me. This is not the case always. The reality is sometimes bad things happen to good people. Jesus said... In this life, you will have trouble. I just want to say that sometimes we have more trouble than we really should be having because we're not doing the work. And, and let me say, too, that the key to effective work, the key to achievement, is this curious mixture of two things, really hard work and really good rest. You know that phrase out there, work hard and play hard? There's actually an element of truth with that. Dr. Phil Maffetoni, who's one of the top coaches of elite triathletes in the world, he says that when he's working with triathletes, like the guys who win the Hawaiian Ironman and go to the World Championships, I mean, absolutely elite athletes, he says the most common problem he sees is athletes who work too hard and don't rest hard enough. He says, I have athletes coming to me, and they are now, they are pushing themselves so hard, they're training two, you know, two or three times a day, six, seven days a week, really putting huge work in, but their results are going down, their times are getting slower, they can't understand what it is. He says, they come to me, the first thing I do is I cut their training in half, 
and make them rest twice as much. Within three months, all of their results are starting to go up again. So we have to work hard. We also have to learn to rest well, but too much of either will ruin you. So let's go back to Proverbs then. The lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. Some things we notice from the scripture today. Number one, some people just have excuses. This guy had an excuse. I mean, it's because of winter. I'm not going to plow because of winter. In fact, one translation, it says, I'm not going to plow because it's too cold. And yet actually, you know, you need to plow at the end of winter. That's when you've got to break up the hard ground. You've got to break up the fallow ground so that when the spring rains come, you can get that seed in the ground and that can happen. And if you're going to not plow during winter, you're not going to, you're not going to have room. You're not going to have the soil that's prepared for when you've got to do the sowing when springtime comes. You know, some people always have an excuse. Some people always have an excuse for why things aren't working out their way, for why they're not getting ahead, for why they're not doing well. The reality is we need to realize that we've got to make peace with a bit of pain. That actually in life, hard work is an integral part of anything that we do. And we can make excuses all we want, but in the end, it's not going to solve anything. So the first thing we notice is some people have excuses. The second thing we notice is that some people won't do what the season requires. He will not plow. He will not do it. He's made a decision, nah, I'm not going to do it. What's the bet? He also does not sow in spring. He does not tend in summer, and he does not harvest in autumn. They will not do the required work in any season of their lives. And that leads us to the third thing we notice from the scripture, that some people believe that others are responsible for their happiness. So it says this guy, he will beg. And he will beg during harvest. He will, you know, you give me some notes, your responsibility to look after me. No, you have to meet my needs. And this during a harvest season, when there's no lack of work, he could be out actually working for someone else who's harvesting, earning money for himself to meet his own needs. But in a busy season when there's plenty going on, when others are harvesting, he is asking others to take responsibility for him. Proverbs calls the person who will not do the work that the season requires the lazy man, or the lazy woman, or in the King James Version, the sluggard. Oh, that is such a great word. The sluggard. Sadly, it's fallen out of usage. We don't really really use it anymore, but it's just, I mean, you want to, just saying it just rolls off the tongue so well. You can't even say say the word fast. It's sluggard. What a descriptive word. And the thing about laziness, the thing about not doing the work that the season requires is that it affects every area of our life. And we see this as we go through Proverbs in different places. This idea of the sluggard or the lazy person comes up again. And again, it affects our direction. Proverbs 15 verse 19, The way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the way of the righteous is plain. This idea that actually for a lazy person, it's like he's got thorns in front of him that he can't or won't go through. He won't go through the pain. And therefore his direction in life, his progress in life gets stunted and held back. It also affects our work, our career. Proverbs 10 verse 26. As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. Think of the last barbecue you went to. 
is the sluggard to those that send him. They are, what a great picture. You know when, you, when you're at a barbecue and, and the smoke blows in your eyes and it stings your eyes, it's like, oh, what a great picture it is for somebody who has someone working for them who is just lazy, who just won't do the work that's required when it's required. That's just like, it's just painful. You can't trust them. You can't get them to do anything. You can't give them any responsibility. They just won't step up when you need them to step up. Who knows that that is going to limit any career trajectory. But not only that, the the, the lazy person, the sluggard, these set of behaviors also affect your ability to take initiative, to take opportunities. Proverbs 22 verse 13, the sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I will be killed in the streets. It is a fearful shrinking back. It is a not being willing to step out and take risks. And instead, staying deep in your comfort zone where you feel safe. And it also affects your financial success. Proverbs 24, verse 30. I went by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man without understanding, and it was all grown over with thorns. This picture we have of somebody who's, who's, he's, he's got a business, he's got a career, he's got a life, he's got a vineyard, he's got something and when you go past it, though, instead of developing that and, and working that, what we see is the fruit of something that has had no work done. It's now overcome and overrun with thorns and weeds. What a picture for the person who, instead of doing the hard work and planning for his future and being diligent, even just keeping an eye on his finances, suddenly wakes up one day and realizes that it's all a mess and he doesn't know now how to get out of it. Now, I'm not saying that anybody here today is a sluggard. But what I am saying is that I know that there have been times in my life when I have tended towards laziness. And I wonder if it's a common experience that actually many of us have sometimes. The tendency to play it easy. The tendency to not push ourselves when maybe we should be pushing ourselves. The tendency to not do the work in the season that it's required because it just doesn't look like fun. And so here's our little bit of wisdom today. Do the work the season requires. Do the work the season requires. You know, Ecclesiastes, another one of the wisdom books, tells us that there are seasons in life. And that actually seasons in life are God's gift to us. It's how he provides for us in every area of our life. So let me ask you a question this morning. What is the work that your current season requires? What is the work that your current season requires? Because God wants us to learn to do the work. He wants us to go for character over comfort. He wants us to take responsibility for our own outcomes. He wants us to live our most empowered life, right? The devil wants us to not do the work. He wants us to go for comfort over character. He wants us to blame others, give away responsibility, and end up powerless Independent, But we have to be the people. Wisdom says that we must be the people that do the work the season requires. Because when we do, when we engage, when we do that right work at the right time, God's principles are released and go to work. And God takes us through cycles of seasons to harvest times again and again and again in our life. So let me ask you the question again. What season are you in right now? And what is the work your current season requires?
We're going to go a little bit deeper now, and I want to give you some examples of what that might look like. And we could look at this in terms of your relationships. We can talk about it in terms of your finances or your, your work or your friendships or your relationship with God. It, it applies in every area of your life. But let, let me just give you some examples in the area of relationships. First one is this. You've got to plow in a winter season. You've got to plow in a winter season. So, you know, when your relationship with your maybe with your spouse or with your kids or with your friends or with your boss, when when that relationship maybe is in a bit of a winter season, you know, it's pretty hard, it's pretty bare, it's pretty cold, it's not going great. You need to do the hard work of breaking up that ground. That means you've got to do the hard work of breaking up old habits, old patterns that are not helping you anymore and maybe got you into this place. You've got to put the effort in. You've got to be willing to change. You've got to address old attitudes and old behaviors in yourself first of all. Remember many years ago when Liz and I were married, I've been married about seven or eight years. And you might have heard, you know, some people talk about the seven-year itch. You know, somewhere around year seven, it gets a bit, a bit challenging. And it sure did for us. Uh, we had a young family. We had small kids. Um, you know what it's like when you've got small kids? And, uh, you, you, don't, you don't sleep for five years, I reckon. And uh, for any families here with young children, my, my hat is off to you, and I pray for good sleep. Um, but it's probably not coming for a while. Um, you know, it, it's a tough season. Usually at that stage in your life, too, you, you're really pushing into your career. You're wanting to build something for your future. And so it's an exhausting, full-on season. And that's where we were at. And what was happening in the midst of all this is that when we had disagreements or, or hurts or offenses, we just were too exhausted to do the work to resolve them. So it's kind of got swept under the carpet and, and we keep going. But as time went on, we got a pretty lumpy carpet. We, we had a whole bunch of old hurts and offenses that were unresolved, just not talked about, that kept rising back up again and tripping us up. And I was in a prayer time one day, just in my quiet time with the Lord, and I really felt God show me and speak to me that actually we needed to do something about this. And that the decisions that we were going to make then were going to dictate the culture of our marriage for the next 10 years for good or for bad. So we sat down together and we talked it through and, and, you know, and it was a difficult discussion. But we got to the place of, of going, yeah, we, we, we have to do this. We have to find a way. We have to do the work the season requires. And what that meant for us, it meant us taking an evening a week where we would sit down purposely and we would dig up the old stuff. When I said this, you know, or when you said this, or, or when this happened, I was so hurt and I can't believe that you did that. And, and one by one, we would, we'd pick one of these things up on a, on a Thursday night or whenever it was, and we would talk about it again. And, and very often, we would resolve it, and we would forgive each other, and, and it would be fantastic. And, and sometimes we wouldn't. Sometimes the herd had been there so long that we would actually have to leave it and come back the following week and have another go at it then. But in the end, after about six months, yeah, it took six months. After about six months, we got to the place where actually all of those were resolved. Everything was good between us. We were at a beautiful and fresh place, and the Lord was absolutely right. It did dictate the culture of our marriage over the next 10 years, and it made such a difference. You, if you are in a winter season, you've got to plow. You've got to break up that ground. You've got to do the work the season requires. So after, after winter, it's, it's spring, right? So maybe you're in a spring season. It's when maybe things are starting to soften and thaw and, and there's possibility and potential 
And what you do in that season is you've got to put the work in to sow. Now, sowing is doing things that are new that have no fruit now. Sowing is doing things that are new that have no fruit now. And so having shown that you care and shown that you're willing to change and work through some new things, now you've got to sow new habits, kind gestures, date nights, taking the kids out for coffee or a movie. You've actually got to start doing some things now that will cost you, both probably financially as well as time, and they are things that you will not see fruit from yet. And you've got to be willing to do that. I remember we, um, we've been in a, in a, in a, this is a few years further on, our kids were now in the early teens, and uh, I was involved in a couple of um, areas of big responsibility, working very, very hard over several years, and not getting a lot of time with the family, but I thought things were good, right? Like, I thought we were good, and I thought I was tight with the kids, and I thought it was all okay. And then I took one of my kids on this parent-child camp, uh, JHA Terror. And, um, and I, I was pretty sure how, I knew how it was going to go. We're going to go along then, and we're going to have a great time, and, and we're going to connect deeply again, and it's going to be fantastic, and it's going to be amazing. And imagine my shock and my dismay when on arriving, my child stopped talking to me. In fact, she didn't say anything to me that week beyond year Nah, nothing, and dunno. That was it. And I was given a brutal wake-up call to the reality of the breakdown of our relationship that had been in deficit for several years now. Man, it was a, it was a tough week, I tell you. You want to talk about winter, plowing in winter, man, trying to break up that hard ground and, and trying to find a way to reconnect. And at the end of that, of that camp, what they said was, you know, when you go back, you should try and do like a date time each week with your child in which you can talk about the things that God is saying to you in your quiet times. And, and I tried to raise this with her, and she's like, nah, ain't happening. And we're in the car, and we're driving back. It's quite a long drive back from Rotorua. And somewhere near home, out of the blue, she just kind of dropped this thing and she said, hey, Dad, look, you know, if you want to do that coffee thing once a week, uh, I, could be, I could be okay with that. I'm like, oh, this is unbelievable. And so what, what happened then was we went into a sowing season where obviously a bit of the ground had been broken up. And so once a week, I would finish work early, deal with my guilt about finishing work early, drive to school pick her up, take her to her coffee place of choice, which was Starbucks, which is freakishly expensive. Like frappuccinos are like eight bucks or something unbelievable. It's like 16, 17 bucks a pop. Look, and, uh, but that's what you want, baby. We're going to be there. And we would sit there and sometimes, very occasionally, she would talk to me and we were like, it was good. And then often we would not. And she would drink that $8 frappuccino I bought her and wouldn't even talk to me. And it was difficult, but I just had to keep on sewing. And I would keep on telling her how much I loved her and how much, how proud I was of her. And, and I would push down my frustration that just wanted to say, I just bought you an $8 coffee. The least you can do is talk to me. And, and deal with that. We're sewing. We're sewing. But you know what was amazing over that year? That as we got into the second half of that year, friendship started to blossom. Friendship started to come up from those seeds. And it was one of the greatest joys of my life to get to the end of that year and continuing and now to have such an incredible, 
wonderful friendship with that daughter. Man, I'm so glad I did the work that the season required. What about a summer season? When it comes to a summer season, you've got to tend. You've got to tend. You've got to do the work in a summer season, which really means keeping on turning up regardless of the outcomes. And I shared a little bit about that in, in the story with my daughter, but it's also been like that at various times in our marriage. You know, when, we, when the kids were young, we would get babysitters and they were, babysitters would come. And, and then, but then whenever we tried to get the babysitters back, they were always busy. It was like we could get babysitters to come look after our kids once, but they wouldn't come back twice. I'm not quite sure what all that was about. Um, but so in the end, once the kids got old enough to all be at school or kindy, we realized that we needed to be sewing into our relationship again. And so we started doing date mornings. We we're all too tired to do date nights, so we did date mornings. So we'd do one morning a week, go out for coffee together, take our books, sit there. And, and you know, and it was... It was great. There were times when things were great and we would chat about things and then there would be times when we'd be maybe a little bit hurt and, uh, and I'm trying to ignore Liz and she's trying to talk to me and, and eventually we would get, get round to doing it. But we had to keep turning up. We had to keep turning up, rain or shine, feeling good or not feeling good, because that was the place when we started to have the discussions that were so fruitful in our life later on. Like, how are we? That was when we learned to have the difficult discussions. How are we doing? How are you doing? How are we going with the kids? How is our sex life going? How are we doing with our finances? How are we feeling in all of these areas? And that and that coffee shop. Week after week, turning up in that summer season, that is where God began to really do some great work in our lives. Again, you've got to do the work the season requires. And then how about this, the last season, the harvest season. When you celebrate and you have fun and you put energy into capitalize on the harvest and all the great things that are happening. And some of you are in a harvest season where everything is just fantastic, but you've got to realize that no season lasts forever. No harvest season lasts forever. In fact, no season is designed to last forever. Which means that when you are in a harvest season, you've got to do the work to capitalize on that season. You've got to, you've got to get the wins. You've got to make that happen. You've got to, and that takes energy and hard work as well. I remember when we were in this, we had this, we didn't realize it was a window at the time, but it was a window between when the kids had, were had becoming teenagers and they're now in their middle teens, but they're, they're cool and they're fun and they're friendly, but they hadn't quite got to the place where they're now, they know more than us and, and we're dumb. We hadn't quite got to that stage. We're in this wonderful little window when they still quite liked us and they would still talk to us and we realized we have got to capitalize on this season. And so what we decided to do is we decided that whenever it was someone's birthday, we would take them out to a restaurant of their choice. Any restaurant that they wanted, we'd go out, we'd shell out the money. And you guys know it's not cheap taking your whole family to a restaurant. And we would do that. And, uh, you know, I'd always pray, God, please let them go to McDonald's. And, uh, and then they'd go to Lone Star, you know. So, uh, so that was fine. But we would, but we would do that. And... and um, and, and we, then we do the work for that, like as well as paying for it financially, knowing that these are all kids. I'm, I'm always doing a couple of hours of work before every restaurant dinner, thinking through what, what could go wrong, who, who's going to have a fight. And I'd, I'd always make up a couple of quizzes that I had on my phone so that if someone started getting snarky with someone else, I could interrupt and go, hey, hey, guys, hey, hey, I've got a great question for you. Quiz time, you know, and, and, uh, and uh, it worked really well the first time. And then after that, it was like, oh, quiz time. But, but, um, but we put the effort and put the work in. And you know what the great thing was? 
is that we so capital in that season we've got so many wonderful rich memories of being out together around a table at a restaurant laughing having heaps of fun answering great quiz questions I'll have you know but but it took work and we've got to realize that in, in any season and in every season there is work that you've got to do in that season that enables you to get through that season successfully and sets you up for the next season as God brings you around again to another season of harvest in your life. We've got to do the work the season requires. We'll get the team up now as we come to a close. But You know, this February, all going well and, and barring injuries, um, I hope to be running the coast to coast. The Coast to Coast is an iconic New Zealand event. Um, it covers 243 kilometres from Kamara on the west coast across to Christchurch, Brighton Beach on the east coast. Um, on the first day, I'm doing, I'm doing the two-day event with a friend of mine, and on the first day you run three kilometres and you jump on your bike and you bike for 55 kilometres up a valley and then you run 33 kilometres up a mountain. It'll take me probably somewhere between six and eight hours Day two, you get back on your bike, you ride 15 kilometers, then you do a 67 kilometer kayak down the Waimakariri River, uh, including grade two rapids, and then finally a 70 kilometer bike ride to Brighton Beach on the east coast. And, and, and you know, there are people in our congregation who have done it. Jim Davidson has done it three times. And uh, Jim's a legend. Like when he did it, he's right up the front with guys like Steve Gurney and that kind of stuff. I, on the other hand, purely out of the pastoral care in my heart for those people at the back, I'm going to stay at the back just, just to look after those guys. So that'll be awesome. But the, the truth is this, if I'm going to do that, if I'm going to run across that finish line on Brighton Beach, having cycled, kayak and run right across the width of New Zealand, guess what it means? What it means is that right now, I have to be doing the work that the season requires now, when it's cold and it's dark and it's the middle of winter and when no one but God sees. Last week, Lizzie was away visiting uh, her elderly aunt who we've got a great relationship with. And, and uh, so I was at home doing things. And I remember, um, so I'm, I'm training most mornings and there was one particular morning last week, some of you may remember, it was pouring with rain. It's 6 a.m., my alarm's just gone off. I have to get up. I've got to go out, run up to Mount Wellington, run up and down, stagger up and down Mount Wellington three times and then run back home. It will take me an hour. And I'm lying in bed and it is so cozy. It is so warm. The rain pitter-pattering on the roof. Uh, it's been a big week already. I'm tired. My legs are sore because I was at the gym the, the day before. And I've got a decision to make. And I can come up with like 150 reasons to stay right where I am. And the question is, will I do the work that this season requires? And of course, the answer is, yes, I will, because that is wisdom. Will you do the work that your season requires? Be that person who does. For God has a finish line that is so much more incredible than any finish line down here on earth. But in order for us to finish well, to make a difference in this life and in this world, we need to be wise enough to do the work the season requires. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for 
the astonishing wisdom in the Scriptures, Lord, in Your Word. And God, I pray for each one of us, God, even as we're sitting here now, Lord, I just pray that You begin to reveal to us, God, not just what season we're in, Lord, but God, that You reveal to us the specific work that this season requires of us right now, God. It may be difficult work, it may be uncomfortable work, it may be painful work, but it's important work. And I pray, God, today we will leave this place with a fresh conviction to live out wisdom in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you hear the